The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live from our nation's capital, it's Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. Welcome to Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. And I'm Brad Bannon. I'm a national democratic strategist, a columnist for The Hill in Washington, D.C., and a political analyst for news radio stations KNX in Los Angeles and WGN in Chicago. My company, Bannon Communications Research, polls for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. BannonCR.com is the sponsor of today's show. If you'd like to find out more about me and my political polling company, or if you have any ideas or suggestions for Deadline DC, the best way to reach me is on Twitter. My handle is Brad Bannon all one word. Today on Deadline DC, we have a great show for you. In the first segment, our guest will be Peter Montgomery from Right Wing Watch to talk about right wing uh, infiltration of the Capitol insurrection. Then in the second half hour, we'll, uh, we'll bring together, just like Donald Trump brought together his cabinet this weekend, we'll bring together the provocative progressive political panel. Our guests on the panel today uh, are, of course, uh, our own executive producer, Mark Grimaldi, and the host of Terror Buster, Tara Devlin. Uh, first, before we go to our first guest, I'm going to we're going to play this clip uh, from the testimony last week of Capitol Police officer uh, Daniel Hedges, uh, Daniel Hodges, uh, who testified before the House committee investigating uh, the abortive right wing coup on the Capitol. Officer Hodges, you characterize the attack on the Capitol as a white nationalist insurrection. Can you describe what you saw that led you to label the attack that way? The crowd was overwhelmingly white uh, males, um, usually a little bit older, middle-aged, older, but some younger. I think out of the entire time I was there, I saw just two women and two Asian males. Everyone else was white males. Um, They're... uh, they didn't say anything especially um, xenophobic to me, but to uh, my black colleagues and anyone who's not white. And they would, some of them would try to, try to recruit me. One of them came up to me and said, are you my brother? Um, there are many, uh, many known um, organizations with ties to white uh, supremacy. We had a presence there. I know like three percenters, Oath Keepers, that kind of thing. People who associate with Donald Trump are uh, find more likely to subscribe to that kind of belief system. 
That was uh, Capitol Police Officer Daniel Hodges uh, testifying before the House Investigatory Committee. Our guest in this half hour is Peter Peter Montgomery, uh, who is from Right Wing Watch. Uh, Today, uh, Peter is going to join us to talk about uh, what he saw in the testimony and, in general, uh, the influence of right-wing insurrectionists in American society, which seems to be getting larger. Uh, Peter is a researcher for Right Wing Watch. Uh, He spent a good part of his uh, professional life tracking the activity of right-wing groups, which which, recommend Comment, you know, which are a fundamental threat to American democracy. Uh, Pete's Twitter handle uh, is Petemont, P E T E M O N T, and uh, the uh, website for Right Wing Watch is rightwingwatch.org. Uh, Peter, welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Thanks for joining us today. It's great to be uh, back. Thanks for having me. First of all, why don't you comment on Officer Hodge's testimony? Well, I thought his testimony, like the testimony of of his other fellow officers, was really, was hard to watch and it was difficult, but it was just uh, a lot of truth being spoken. And it was truth that the public needs to hear uh, because it's being distorted and dismissed by Republican congressional leaders and right-wing media. So it was really important to, to have that truth spoken, that that this was an insurrection. This was a violent attempt to overturn the results of the presidential election. People died. And the there is a continuing threat to our democracy from the people who promoted this and carried it out. You know, one of the things that I find truly amazing, perhaps horrifying is a better word, uh, is how we're more than uh, Joe Biden's been president for more than six months now. Uh, But, uh, you know, some people, there are some people who believe that uh, Donald Trump is going to be magically reinstated as president uh, this month. Donald Trump had meeting with uh, members of his old cabinet uh, over the weekend at a golf course in New Jersey. And, you know, the implication was he's planning on, you know, continuing to be president. Uh, You know, of course, uh, there was the right wing coup attempt at the Capitol. Uh, there's still Trump loyalists are still counting ballots in Arizona, even though it's clear that Joe Biden won the state's electoral votes. Uh, you know, these first of all, uh, go, going back to Officer Hodges, what evidence is there uh, about the uh, influence of uh, right wing groups on the Capitol coup on uh, January 6th? Well, there's a lot of evidence going back to the months leading up to the coup attempt to, to the insurrection when Right Wing Watch and a lot of other journalists and, and researchers were tracking the calls for violence and the plans for violence. And so that's uh, why it was really unforgivable that that uh, we were not more prepared for this because it should have been no surprise. And people like 
Stuart Rhodes, who's the head of the Oath Keepers, one of the militias that was very active at the Capitol. And, and he was there that day, you know, back in December, he said on the National Mall at a televised rally that if uh, Trump didn't use his powers as commander in chief to stay in office, then militias like the Oath Keepers would have to wage a more bloody civil war. So they were planning for this. Uh, the evidence is that at the rally, there was a mix of all the different groups that pushed Trump's big lie. And your comments about the, the election, it's a reminder that the whole driving force behind this was Trump's de decision to lie about the election, to claim that it was stolen from him rather than to admit that he lost. And then all these right-wing groups, right-wing media figures, Republican officials rallied around that lie. And that stirred uh, anger and resentment among his supporters. And that is where this insurrection came from. And that's so that's a mix of Trump loyalists, Christian nationalists, uh, QAnon and other conspiracy theorists, uh, far right militia group types like the Oath Keepers, the Three Percenters, the Boogaloos, the Proud Boys, and, you know, some current and retired law enforcement and military. Uh, we did a, a report recently, everyone watched it, talks about the number of um, law enforcement officials who took part in, in the insurrection. So that's troubling. Um, anyway, so it's a mix of the whole right-wing coalition, all motivated and uh, revved up by Donald Trump and his insistence that he won the election and that it was stolen from him. That's yeah, the big lie. Uh, go ahead. It's I was just really, going to say that big lie is really at the heart of this. Yeah, it's really a very sad state of affairs. Our guest in this half hour is Peter Montgomery, uh, who is a senior fellow at Right Wing Watch. Uh, he's here to talk about the role of uh, right wing uh, nationalist groups in the abortive capital coup. Uh, and uh, also we're going to have a more general discussion about the influence of these uh, right-wing extremists on American politics and society. Uh, but we're going to break now. Uh, if you're a radio listener, uh, we'll be back in a couple of minutes. If you're watching us uh, on Periscope TV or Facebook, uh, or YouTube uh, will stay with us because we're not going anywhere. We'll be back with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon right after these messages. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back for your listening uh, information and viewing information. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. My guest in this half hour is Peter Montgomery, senior fellow at Right Wing Watch. And we've been discussing uh, the uh, participation of right wing nationalist groups uh, on the uh, uh, on uh, the Capitol riot, the abortive Capitol coup. You know, it bothers me even to say we had an attempted coup uh, in the United States, but we did. Uh, basically, these right wing extremists, along with other 
crazies uh, tried to block the election of uh, Joe Biden, who was overwhelmingly elected as president of the United States. Uh, Biden won by something like eight million votes. He had a decisive vote, a decisive victory in the Electoral College. But despite that, uh, these groups on January 6th tried to prevent the certification of Joe Biden's election, and they're still trying to uh, harbor this fantasy of uh, Donald Trump coming back. Let me ask you about that, Pete. Uh, yeah, I don't know, remember the exact date. I guess maybe August 13th or August 14th. There are honestly other there are people out there among these groups who honestly think that somehow. Uh, Donald Trump is going to be magically reinstated uh, as president this month. Uh, do they really believe that? Um, or are they just using this as a his fantasy as a way of uh, ginning up uh, their fundraising and, uh, you know, activating their members? What, what do you think's going on here? This is kind of crazy. Well, it's always hard to know, but you're right. And there's actually been sort of a moving date Initially, some of them predicted that he would, uh, Trump would uh, be back in March, and then it was April. Uh, then Mike Lindell, the My Pillow guy, who's been funding a lot of this Stop the Steal uh, work, has predicted that Trump would be back in office in August. There's a lot of people from the uh, Prophets and Apostles wing of the Christian right that have been also prophesying that Trump would be back in office. They had first prophesied that he was going to win the election, and some of them aren't willing to admit that they were wrong on that front. Uh, so the other thing to remember about this is that not only are they sort of raising hopes and keeping the Trump base revved up with claims like this, they're also using this to justify all these anti-voting rights laws and voter suppression laws that are happening around the country uh, they're using the claims of the stolen election, the claims that somehow 2020 was was fraudulent, uh, was illegitimate, to justify uh, changing the law. So these Republican legislators hope Democrats won't win it again. And that's, uh, that's another really uh, nefarious thing that's going on, a really dangerous thing that's going on, also grounded in this lie of the stolen election. And uh, people who can find online Jane Mayer at The New Yorker, who's a tremendous journalist, she just put out a piece today on uh, the sort of involvement of some, of some of the right wing's big funders and sort of big infrastructure supporters on this whole Stop the Steal so-called election integrity movement, groups like the Bradley Foundation and uh, all, the, all the people there are now funding to keep up this right wing narrative about voter fraud and election integrity, uh, which is... Uh, supporting Trump's claims and supporting right-wing efforts to make it harder for some people to vote. Uh, let me ask you uh, another question. There have been questions raised about the relationship of members of these extremist groups uh, to uh, certain Republican members of Congress. Uh, Marjorie uh, Taylor Greene uh, from Georgia comes to mind. Uh, Paul Gosner from Arizona. Uh, Lauren Brobart uh, uh, from Colorado. What 
what exactly are the relationships between these groups and you know these these uh, particular members of of Congress? Well, you know, some of those folks are uh, you know hard right. You know, Marjorie Taylor Greene sort of came out of the QAnon conspiracy theory, Trump supporting right. Paul Gosar from from Arizona has openly aligned himself with uh, Nick Fuentes, a promoter of his white nationalist America First group. Uh, Gosar actually spoke at his convention, uh, which was, you know, overtly white nationalist and Christian nationalist. And so it's really troubling that we have a sitting member of Congress doing that. Another member is Mo Brooks of Alabama, who was uh, speaking at the Ellipse on that day, part of revving up the crowd and sending them off, sicking them on the Capitol. And it just came out in the last couple of days that uh, Brooks knew that there was going to be some trouble. And so that he was actually wearing body armor under his windbreaker uh, while he was down on the mall that day. So one of the important things that the select committee uh, has to look at is the role of members of Congress. I mean, we know that Donald Trump played a huge responsibility for stirring this up and that right-wing media did, but there's a lot to learn about members of Congress, members of Congress who were on the phone with Donald Trump during the insurrection, members of Congress who may have uh, helped uh, the insurrectionists by giving them tours the day before, helping them make their plans. Uh, so there's there's a lot of real getting to the bottom of members of Congress who are associated with this extremist groups and who are promoting, you know, a really dangerous agenda uh, to undermine our, our democracy. Well, let me ask you about one thing, and I've seen countless references about this on social media, which doesn't necessarily make it true. Uh, you know, uh, again, uh, Paul, is it Paul Gosner from uh, Arizona? Uh, they've been, they, at least some, a few of them, gave tours to uh, groups uh, of the Capitol in the days before the uprising. Now, of course, members of Congress give tours to their constituents all the time. Do you think there was, do you think they were actually doing reconnaissance tours for the attack on the Capitol? Or is, do we have any evidence to back that up? Or is that just sheer speculation? I think we need to learn the answer to that question. I'm not sure what the answer to that question is, but I think, you know, this is not a normal time at the Capitol. You know, we're, we're closed down for COVID. I don't think it was uh, a normal thing for a member of Congress to be leading around people who were in town the day before uh, the day before this happened. So I'm, I'm very suspicious that members of Congress were, were yes, helping people do recon. And I think we need to figure that out. That's one of the many things, one of the many reasons we needed a commission like this, because the Republican congressional leadership is desperate to move on, to downplay this, to pretend that it wasn't something serious. Yeah, they seem to be doing everything they can to diminish the uh, impact of hearings, including refusing to seat any of uh, any GOP members on the panel. Uh, the speaker had to do that for them. Uh, yeah, and it's, so. it's, you know, it's hard for me to be surprised by these guys at this point. But I've also found it stunning that we had members of Congress and members of the right wing media just mocking and belittling these police officers. 
some of whom nearly gave their lives that day and who said that they feared that they were going to lose their lives that day battling with this these crowds, uh, you know, for for more than an hour. Being uh, in this Peter, unfortunately, we're out of time. Uh, thanks for joining us today on Deadline DC. I'm sure at some point we'll have you back to talk thanks. about the pernicious influence of these right wing groups on American society. We'll be back after these messages. Welcome back. We are going to go with the provocative progressive political panel. You can see the panelists there on the screen for those (laughs) on Periscope TV. Uh, But before we get to the panel, we're going to run two clips from Sunday morning talk shows, uh, one from representing the position of Senator Joe Manchin and the other one representing a comment on infrastructure from Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Can you guarantee to AOC that a reconciliation package will pass the Senate? Because her concern is that uh, this infrastructure bill might be bipartisan, but it's scaled back so much, it's not as bold as it should be in what the country needs. Can you guarantee her that the reconciliation package will pass? I can't really guarantee anybody, you know, and I have not guaranteed anybody on any of these pieces of legislation. We would like to do more. Yeah, you can do what you can pay for. This is paid for. Our infrastructure bill is all paid for. We don't have a debt that we're going to incur more debt and throwing onto it. And on the other, as far as the reconciliation bill, should be looked at the same. That's why I said we're going to get the budget uh, resolution. Let's start the process and then see where it goes. Uh, on that, we should just work in good faith and be honest with each other so no one's misled any way, shape, or form. And there should be no quid pro quo. You do this, I'll do this. When it comes to big legislation, does it help the American people? How do you tell over 80% of the people, Democrats and Republicans, that we can't do an infrastructure bill, a traditional infrastructure there's a lot of need out there for the human infrastructure, I understand. But some of these programs that they're going to be putting in place could be in perpetuity. Mm-hmm. And even though it only has a 10-year run on it, so it's been scored at 10 years at 3.5, it might have perpetuity, it would be $5 trillion or more. So we have to look at everything and be honest with ourselves. And will you vote for it? Uh, it has to, we, have to hold out to that, we have to hold on to that bargain. If there is not a reconciliation bill in the House, and if the Senate does not pass the reconciliation bill, we will uphold our end of the bargain and not pass the bipartisan bill until we get all of these investments in. And I want to be clear that the investments in the bipartisan bill are not all, you know, candy land. There are some of these quote unquote pay fors that are very alarming that we need to see the language on. For example, some of the language around privatizing public infrastructure, putting toll roads, leasing public infrastructure to private entities are very concerning and should be concerning to every American. So we really need to see that language and see what's put in there uh, until until it reaches, you know, when it reaches the House. Bipartisan doesn't always mean that it's in the interest of the public good, frankly. Sometimes there's a lot of corporate lobbyist giveaways in some of these bills. Okay, uh, you just heard Senator Joe Manchin, Democrat from West Virginia, and Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez from New York uh, with their dueling visions of infrastructure. Uh, This half hour of Deadline DC is brought to you by Bannon Communications Research, my firm, which polls for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. 
the Western United States is enveloped in a massive heat wave and by devastating forest fires. Nearly 100 people died in a collapsed condo in Miami, Florida. The power grid went down in Texas during an unseasonable winter freeze and a summer heat wave. We need to build America back and build American back greener. The bipartisan infrastructure uh, package in the Senate is nice, but it's not nearly enough to meet the urgent need to rebuild the United States to fight and to fight the worldwide ravages of climate change. You can read all my columns in the Hill at muckrack.com front slash Brad dash Bannon. Now it's time for the provocative progressive political panel. Joining us on the panel today is Tara Devlin, the host of Terror Buster, uh, her unapologetically liberal uh, podcast, uh, which I hope you all sample. Uh, and uh, we also have uh, on the panel today our own executive producer uh, and progressive activist, Mark Grimaldi. Uh, Mark has worked on several Democratic presidential campaigns. He's also has a fervent interest in campaign finance reform and funding cancer research. Welcome to Deadline DC panel. Uh, let's start off uh, with you, uh, Tara. Uh, the Senate last week uh, ag- uh, agreed to have a vote. Uh, on an infrastructure package, which uh, some call the skinny infrastructure package, Mm -hmm. uh, which comes to about uh, $1.2 trillion. Now, in the bipartisan package, uh, you have basic nuts and bolts infrastructure. Uh, You have uh, uh, money for replacing uh, lead water pipes, uh, you have uh, money for improving the uh, uh, reach of the World Wide Web. Uh, you have money for electron- electric uh, buses. Uh, but there's really nothing in there uh, that systematically addresses the urgent needs that this nation is facing. Uh, now, we are in a tricky situation here. Uh it looks to me that after the uh, Senate vote uh, last week, the Senate bipartisan infrastructure package probably has the votes to pass. But uh, if it does pass, uh, it still has to go to the House and several prominent uh, progressives um, including uh, Representative Ocasio-Cortez, who we'd heard from the clip, had said they will vote against it. And Speaker uh, Pelosi has also said that she may not even have a vote on the bipartisan package, Senate package, until uh, there's a vote in the House on the broader uh, infrastructure package, which amounts to just over $3 trillion uh, that is supported by Ocasio-Cortez and uh, progressives in both the House and the Senate. Uh, So, Tara, why don't you begin, uh, what do you why do we need uh, the broader uh, infrastructure package that is supported by progressives in the House and the Senate? 
And do you think we'll ever get it, actually? Um, if, we do, if we don't, we, I mean, eventually the, uh, the effects of climate change will be too, too much to ignore. And the, unfortunately, you know, I don't know what... Let me stop you there. I mean, yeah. I, I think we <laughs> right. can't ignore them right we now. We can't ignore it now. Exactly. I so, mean, la- right. last week there were ma- massive storms that led to flooding in Western Europe right. and exactly. China. To say yeah. nothing of what's happening in the United States, we right. have uh, massive forest fires all over uh, the West uh, that are caused by extreme heat and drought. Uh, I don't know what more we need exactly. Exactly. Well, I think we need to sweep the floors of the forests or something. I think that's what the Republicans wanted, right? That was, that was Trump's advice: just keep sweeping the floors of the of the of the forest. Well, besides the point, the fact is that we're, um, you know, we're in big trouble as it is, like you're saying. And I don't know what it is about human beings that we we can't. Uh, you know that we won't we won't delay the inevitable for some reason we just ever just put put it off and put it off and put it off but i think it yeah obviously it's due to greed and um the system is broken that's why we're in this boat if it were if it wasn't broken we wouldn't have gotten this far into a uh, where the world is on the verge of inhabit and what is it on i can't say that word in of being uninhabitable and uh so to take see right now the, in order to appease the republicans they took out the, uh, from this bipartisan bill all of well many of the climate change uh, provisions in there as if we have time to waste but that's all they care about in fact the republican bill on uh, climate i mean on uh, the infrastructure deals with primarily um the old fashioned view of infrastructure highways, roads. They don't want to do anything for public transportation either because they want, it's like, it's as if, just like they're on the side of the virus, it seems, they're also on the side of turning this planet into an uninhabitable, I don't know, just turning it uninhabitable. Why would you focus on highways? Meaning you want people to continue to drive, but you don't want to do anything to ensure that the American people have options to be, you know, like the, as the Chinese are flying around on bullet trains, we're still with the same old infrastructure from Eisenhower. We're worried about the interstate highways, which is is really not the a the a a leading um, country. Okay, Tara, I'm going to have yeah. to interrupt you. We're mm-hmm. going to break. When we return with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon, we'll have more of uh, our provocative progressive political paranoia with Tara Devlin and Mark Grimaldi. All right. Welcome back to Deadline DC, Brad Van. Uh, we have with us the provocative progressive political panel. Uh, joining us on the panel today are uh, Tara Devlin, who is the host of the unapologetically liberal Tara Buster show. And we have <laughs> mock liberal activist Mark Grimaldi. Uh, Tara, let me ask you this. Uh, 
you know, spending uh, as much time as I do on social media, probably too much time. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I should go back and read books <laughs> instead or something. I don't know. But anyway, I do spend an unfortunate amount of time social media uh both for this show and to write my hill column every week to see what's going on and you know it it struck me there's a bewildering set of progressive priorities out there uh we have of course climate change uh we which we've already talked about the segment uh we have a need for medicare for all uh, Mark is uh, an activist on campaign funding reform, which is also fundamental. Uh, we have this struggle uh, going on in Congress now and in the state legislatures on voting rights, especially uh, for people of color. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it struck me, and I'm not sure about this, but, you know, look at them all. What are the priorities here? Mm, okay. Uh, you know, all these are important issues. Um, I would argue that all these are important issues. But Tara, what do you think is the single biggest priority uh, about the issues right. that we've discussed? Well, you're 100 percent correct. The this is what drives me insane. It's the cognitive dissonance of messaging that we're getting from the Democrats. And, and that, uh, that's a response to the fact that the Democrats aren't unified in themselves. Uh, Mansion and cinema, the an example of that. Although I think their cinema, especially, is more all about sucking up the attention uh, in whatever way possible. But that's beside the point. The, it's uh, what I think is the most pressing issue right now is to stop the the voter suppression tactics and to stop the Republican Party from destroying American democracy. Other than that, what's what's the whatever infrastructure? Sure. I mean, infrastructure week has been uh, a laugh line for the past five years uh, and more Um, that could be put on the shelf. I, I, I find it a little bit confusing. So we have Joe Biden and the Democrats in leadership saying that we're up against an existential crisis of uh, uh, against democracy from these right wingers. And that is the truth. They're, we're in the middle of a coup. They're still at it. And yeah, they are. Then, yes. And then on the other hand, we're, we're trying to get bipartisan support for an infrastructure package from the same traders who are in the midst of a coup right now. So, well, which is it? I think that the, the Democrats need to use their bully pulpit to to uh, maintain a consistent message. Either the Republicans are a threat to democracy or they're your 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 partners. Uh, which one is it? Uh, you can't have it both ways, in my opinion. So why are we trying to get bipartisan support from traitors? I mean, what, what else are they? Uh, is this be, I'm not being hyperbolic. They are trying to install a a con man who received fewer votes, and it's still going on. There's no, there's no, uh, they're not uh, in any way sorry. There's no uh, reconciliation possible with uh, people who don't take any responsibility, and they're still at it. So I, I mean, I'm I'm at a loss here. 
it drives me crazy to think that the Democrats, uh, because of what it is, it's that they're actually, the Democrats are giving the Republicans a, um, they're kind of rehabbing their, um, they're rehabbing their image by pretending that they're, they're partners in this. Meanwhile, they are actively trying to overthrow democracy. It just doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know. Maybe you have some, some insight. <laughs> I think that's the, that's the number one priority, be, uh, okay. money and politics. Uh, yes, yes. Mark, uh, you want to weigh in on this question? Yeah, I actually, I agree with Tara wholeheartedly. The answer out of my mouth was going to be voting rights. And, and the reason is, is because it, that unlocks all of these other issues. Um, That's it's, right. it's an umbrella over everything else, however you want to look at it, whatever analogy you want to use. Um, if you lose the you know, many people lose the power to vote, then the interests of the American people are going to be even more represented by just a few in power. And mm -hmm. it's going to become even more disproportionately difficult for um, minorities and people of low income uh, to vote, to exercise their right to vote. <clears throat> so that would be my number one issue. Um, I do think that um, there should be a car, you know, the filibuster should be eliminated. But if for some reason, they're not going to, which it, it does not look like Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema, as per usual, are going to allow that to happen. Mm, yeah. um, then I think there needs to be a carve out for the Voting Rights Act, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, because otherwise there's no way you're going to control all these um, Republican state legislatures that are passing all of these um, voter suppression bills throughout the country under the guise of the big lie by Donald Trump, you know, say, you know, saying, oh, we need these bills because there was voter fraud, even though they can't point to any statistically right. significant amount of voter fraud. That's why that would be number <laughs> one. No. Oh, exactly. And that's why that would be number one on my list. Um, I also think Tara highlights just a very odd reality that's going on right now at the Capitol. I mean, the Capitol is actually still basically on lockdown and security um, from the <coughs> failed coup that was egged on by many members of, of Congress. And within that secured area, they're negotiating with them. Um, I right. do think that the reason that one of the reasons that the bipartisan bill means so much um, with to the Biden administration, to be completely honest with you, is it's got a lot of public support and it would be a legislative win uh, for the president to be able to say, look, I can, you know, work with the other side of the country or excuse me, of, you know, uh, the the uh political spectrum. Um, I think that's why it's a focus. However, I think President Biden has acted bold, you know, and moments when we did not necessarily expect him to, to coming in office. And that's why he has proposed, you know, these bold actions like the, the $3.5 trillion um, human infrastructure package. So I hope that he sticks to his guns because, um, uh, frankly, th those proposals are needed right now. They're sorely needed because not only did we... Um, you know, not progress anywhere on issues like climate and healthcare during the Trump administration. We lost a lot of ground. So it's going to take large um, action, big, bold action to not only make up ground, but try to get ahead now. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, it's sort of like, uh, you know, picking among, you know, which of your children do you love the most? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I should also say uh, that part of the uh, the big 
uh, infrastructure package, the $3 trillion package, which uh, Senator Bernie Sanders discussed last week, uh, was expanding uh, Medicare uh, to include people uh, uh, 60 uh, or over. Uh, so essentially, you wouldn't have to wait until you're 65. Uh, it would also include broadening Medicare to cover dental uh, and uh, vision care. So I think that's uh, a compelling reason uh, for uh, the big one of the compelling reasons for the package. You know, one thing I saw very just, you know, last week, uh, the United Nations released some kind of study uh, that uh, that said that uh, by the end of this century, climate change could kill 83 million people. Mm. Uh, you know, and I, I don't, you know, honestly, I asked you a question about which of these is the biggest priority. I, I don't know how to, you know, answer it myself, to be honest with you. Um, I always thought for a long time that the secret to changing this country uh, was campaign finance reform. Mm. Uh, as long as there's big money in politics, nothing's going right. to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, you read these things about, the, you know, the devastation of climate change, uh, you know, denying uh, people the right to vote. Uh, and sometimes I feel we're moving backwards uh, instead of forwards. Uh, and there are good reasons for, you know, doing all these things. Uh, anyway, uh, I want to thank the panel. Uh, I want to thank all our guests. Uh, uh, Peter Montgomery from Right Wing Watch, who joined us in the first half hour. And today on the panel, uh, the host of Terror Buster, uh, Tara Devlin, and also the uh, giver of this <laughs> great cup, which I love. Yes, yes. yes. Uh, and our own producer, uh, Mark Gabaldi. Leslie Marshall will be back tomorrow. Be safe and be strong in these troubled times and watch Deadline DC every Monday at 3 p.m. live Eastern time or the podcast anytime. Thank you. We'll yes. talk to you again soon. All right.